Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 113. Packers back on the field on Sunday. Can we get a Victory Monday podcast, boys? Can we get it one time? They have the Rams at Lambeau Field. You can get tickets for a gentleman's $36 right now to a November Lambeau Field game. Packers are favored by three. It doesn't sound like Matthew Stafford is going to play. There's not a lot to break down. We'll talk about the game. We're also going to do a Packer-Ram memory. We're keeping with that theme with the way the season has gone. We'll whisk you away to the championship season of 1996. Starter jackets as far as the eye could see. A better time. A simpler time. And we will also talk about the top five players that we want to, or I guess I want to see improvement from for the remainder of the year. If we're writing this season off, which right now it kind of looks like a write-off, you don't even know what a write-off is, if it's going to be a bad year and they're headed for a top-five pick, let's at least talk about the young players that we need to see the most progression from between now and the end of the year and the final 10 games of the regular season. We'll talk about that. Badgers at Indiana, if you have the season win total on 8.5, and if you don't, you are listening to someone that does, so you have a friend that does. The Badgers need to win all four of their remaining regular season games. They'll probably be favored in all four games. They are at Indiana on Saturday, 10-point favorites. Indiana does not have a Big Ten win, but it doesn't sound like Braylon Allen's going to play. We'll discuss that. We'll also talk about the Bucks. The NBA in-season tournament qualifying starts tonight, or the pool play starts tonight. Knicks at Pfizer Forum. Bucks Twitter was in a state of disarray after Wednesday's loss in Toronto, the likes of which I've never seen before. And we're talking about... Brutal playoff losses, getting ousted by the Heat in round one last year. I've never seen Bucks Twitter this down four games into the year with a new head coach and Damian Lillard in town. My God. We will talk about that as well. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's hard. Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record-breaking run. Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit to center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks, he throws, and intercepted. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. Before we get into all of the sports-related stuff, I saw this. A buddy posted this on Facebook. It was actually the last break of the B93 Morning Show. I could not be more excited for this. There have been concert announcements basically every day on the countryside, any genre of music for the last week or two, because now you're getting set for buying tickets for Christmas presents or getting set for spring of 2024 and all the next calendar year shows. So we've been doing concert announcements, it feels like, every morning on the B93 Morning Show for different country concerts that are getting announced. Well, this is a rock concert that got announced, and I cannot wait (laughs) to go see these guys. They are riding a wave of nostalgia right now, in part because of the Texas Rangers. The Rangers, even though nobody watched the World Series. The Rangers adopted this song as their rallying cry for the entire postseason run. And after they won the championship in their first ever World Series on Wednesday? See, I don't even remember. 
There was a video on Twitter of a big bar in Arlington that was packed to the gills, and they were watching the final out of their team winning the World Series, their first ever World Series. And as that final out was recorded, they played the song, which has become their theme song. And this is the song. I mean, this is a jam, guys. We can act like Creed wasn't a good band. You can act like Nickelback wasn't a good band, but you'd be wrong. You're just pretending because they are good. This is good. This is good music. You can scoff and roll your eyes at me if you want. You know in your heart this is a good song and this is a good band. I mean, let it wash over you. If you want to try to act cool and act like you're one of the cool kids making fun of Nickelback and Creed, that's fine. But I know deep down in your soul, in places you don't like to talk about at parties, that you love that song. Just as I do. And I've gotten past the point in my life of making fun of Nickelback and Creed because I had those CDs in my CD wallet. Remember those? Remember the CD binders you'd have in your car? You'd spend 10 minutes with your car on idle in 2000, 2001, trying to pick out the perfect mix CD or the perfect CD for wherever you were going. But it was in there. We all had that one album. What was it called? Human Clay? There are certain albums of the mid to late 90s where I don't even know if I bought them. They just show up. They would just show up in your CD binder, in your CD wallet, and you don't even know how they got there. Human Clay was one of those CDs. But riding this wave of late 90s and just 90s in general nostalgia and then getting that boost from the Rangers, they have launched a tour, Creed has. It is called the Summer of 99 Tour, and it's with Switchfoot and Finger Eleven, and they're going to be in Green Bay up in Titletown at the Resch Center. It's the first day of the show. I guess Three Doors Down is joining them at some of those, too, or Daughtry, too. It is at the Resch Center in Green Bay on Wednesday, July 17th. I have already put it on the calendar. My wife and I keep, I don't care how much money it costs me. You can charge me anything. Charge me any amount of money. I am going to that show. That halftime show of Thanksgiving 2001, to me, remains the greatest football halftime show of all time. At halftime of the Cowboy, whatever, Redskin, excuse me, Commander game. Sorry. Sorry. We'll edit that out in post. At halftime of that game in 2001, that was a Creed halftime show, and they could not have been higher, waka waka, they could literally not have been more popular than in that moment, in that 99-01 to era, and they played that song, Scott Stapp was lip-syncing the entire time, they had a guy that was floating around on a couple of different blankets, it was just, it was a chaotic scene in the best possible way. Creed at the Resch Center in Green Bay on July 17th, mark it down everybody. All right, let's get into it here. Packers and Rams this weekend. Should we start with Rasul Douglas? They did make one trade. We talked on Friday's podcast about the trade deadline or Monday's podcast about the trade deadline looming. And with where the team is at right now, two and five with four straight losses, and it feels like regression in every game or at least no progression in any of those four games, it felt like maybe some of the veterans they have, and they don't have many, would get dealt. If you can deal them for draft picks and get more draft collateral. Remember we talked about Preston Smith maybe being on the block, Devondre Campbell possibly being on the block, Aaron Jones since you're not using him anyway. He's just sitting around. Maybe trade him if you can get a third-round pick. We talked about Jair, even though that was probably never going to happen. But if somebody offered you a first-round pick, one guy we did not bring up is Rasul Douglas, who fits that mold too. He's 29 years old. He's under contract for another year, I'm pretty sure, after this. That extension he signed in 2021. Was that right after the 2021 year where they picked him up off the Cardinals practice squad? He had that breakout. He had the interception against the Cardinals to end that game. He had a couple pick sixes that year. 
He was under contract, but like we talked about on Monday, some of these veterans, there aren't many, but some of them, if you are not going to be good until 2025, what are we looking at here? Are they going to be good again in 2024? I don't know. 2025, maybe. 2026. Are those guys going to be around? And if the answer is no, then if you can get draft picks for them, by all means do so. And they do trade Rasul Douglas. He's the only player they did trade. Weird story about that, too, that came out yesterday where Rasul Douglas, I guess, got a call from Goody, and Goody told him, hey, you've been traded. And Rasul Douglas treated it like a crank yankers call where he said, ha, ha, ha. Ah, good one, Brian. Oh, Goody. Busting balls again, and he hung up on him. And then Mark Murphy had to call him and say, though, you actually were traded. Traded to the Buffalo Bills for, and a fifth-round pick, a fifth-rounder and Rasul going to Buffalo, and the Packers get a third-rounder coming back, which has been, in the history of Brian Gutekunst, the best possible round that you could get a draft pick for. I don't think he's hit on one person in the third round. Maybe this will be the year. They get a 2024 third-rounder back, which does seem like fairly good value, Rasul Douglas had his fair share of mistakes this year. Everybody on the defense has. He grades out pretty well, though, in terms of how the secondary has been playing. He is one of the top grades in the secondary. Take that as you will. He did seem to give a damn. I'll say that. Every post game, not like Jair, who is acting, I don't even know what the word is. Not belligerent, right? (laughs) Insolent. The way he was acting after that loss against the Vikings Rasul, when they interview him, seems to care, and the reports were after that Viking loss, he had everybody around his locker, and it was different guys coming over there. They're trying to figure things out. He cared. It seemed like he really cared about trying to get this season and this team turned around. It's hard to see a guy like that go. Again, though, if he's not going to be here in the next year or two, and he probably wasn't going to be, if you can move up in this case or get another draft pick, then you probably should do it. I am sad I now have to retire my There Is No Dana Only Rasul clip that I put together. It must have been that year, 2021, when he burst onto the scene. It probably was right after that Arizona game where he had the dagger interception, and I put together this seamless edit of a Ghostbusters reference. There is no Dana Only Rasul. Huh? The B93 Morning Show isn't the sixth highest rated morning show in Sheboygan County for nothing. I've got to retire that. Or I've got to find out what the Buffalo stations are that would play Bill's highlights or whatever and make sure they can use it. Give it to them. And I don't want any money for it. <laughs> I don't. You don't need to pay me. I just want the joy of that clip to be felt by others, and that fan base right now would be the Buffalo Bills. I'm sad I had to get rid of that. We also can get rid of, or maybe we won't this year, the Rasul, we suck because we suck. We've been losing because we've been losing, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, but they trade Rasul. They move up in the 2024 draft to the third round. That was the only trade that was executed by the Packers on Tuesday. There were a couple of in-division trades that were odd. The Bears, who are 2-6, and they acquire probably the best defensive end on the trade market. Montez Sweat from the Commanders. The Commanders. They also traded Chase Young. They're both of their bookend defensive ends. They traded Chase Young, the former second overall pick to the Niners. You know he's going to thrive there. You just know Chase Young's going to have 10 sacks in the last 10 games in San Francisco. No doubt about it. I could not fathom why the Bears, with where they're at, would want to spend money or spend draft capital on a player of Sweat's caliber when he's at the end of his contract. Are they going to re-sign him to a $100 million deal? I don't know. That's a trade you make if you're threatening for a playoff spot. If you think you're within a year of being good again, maybe you add a guy like that. That one didn't make sense. Vikings trade did make sense. They picked up Joshua Dobbs, the quarterback from Arizona, who was okay in Pittsburgh for a while, and he's been pretty good in Arizona. Arizona is 1-7, and and they're ultimately on their way to a top-three pick like we kind of thought they would be before the year. They've 
played good, though, in a lot of those games. They've covered. They're against the spread. I'm pretty sure is an over 500 record against the spread, and a lot of that is because Josh Dobbs has been a solid quarterback for them. Eight touchdowns, five picks. As we know, the Vikings are searching for somebody now with Kirk Cousins leaving that game against Green Bay on Sunday. Turns out it's a torn Achilles. I don't think they want to go with that rookie quarterback the whole way yet, even though he's going to start on Sunday. I would imagine Dobbs will start the week after that. Maybe that gives them a puncher's chance in a watered-down NFC to get to eight wins or nine wins and still get in the playoffs. They're sitting at four and four. A handful of trades made in the NFL on Tuesday, but Rasul Douglas was the biggest one for the Packers. Should we go? Let's just talk about the game this weekend and we'll eventually get to our Packer memory. We could just play the tape from last week. I feel the exact same right now that I did recording this exact same segment at this exact same time last Friday. They're favored to win by three. They were not favored going into the Viking game. They were point-and-a-half underdogs by the time that game kicked off. This time, they're favored by three. I am going to bet on them to win. (laughs) I'm going to. We're going to get to it in the pick segment coming up. This feels like a spot where they can win. I've had several people email me or Facebook me over the last week or so asking, do you see how this team could even get to four or five wins, John? And my answer has been what we talked about on Monday. If they keep playing the way they are in the last four games, it's tough to find two or three more wins on this schedule, but this might be one of them. With no Matthew Stafford for the Rams, the Rams running game is good, and we know the Packer rush defense is not good. You would think, though, with a backup quarterback out there, that the Packers should have a chance to actually win this game and set us up for a victory Monday. But again, like we talked about last Friday, I just want to see improvements. And we're going to talk more about that in a second, and specifically who we want to see those improvements from. I just want to see this team get better or look better. Remember in 2008, even in all the losses they had that year, we always felt good about something. There was something to feel good about. We haven't felt good about anything in the last four weeks of watching this team. You hope for them to make progress. You hope for the offensive line to look better. You hope for the defense to get out of their soft zone. You hope Aaron Jones gets the ball more. You hope Jordan Love's accuracy is better. We just need to see something, a half step, a quarter step. I'll take an eighth of a step forward regardless of wins or losses for the remainder of the year, unless they somehow find themselves back in the playoff conversation, they get hot or something like that. That's something outrageous that's not likely to happen. Unless that happens, that's the primary focus right now for Packer fans is, are we going to see something from some of these young players? Are we going to feel good about something coming out of these games? I would love for them to win on Sunday. I can't root for them not to win. I've seen that segment now of Packer fans really popping up on social media, and they're probably the smarter part of the fan base right now because in the NFL – If you're going to be bad, be bad. If you're going to be bad, be a top three pick bad. Be the number one overall pick bad. Don't be 10th overall pick or 12th overall pick or 13th overall pick bad because then you're just stuck in the middle. It is true. If this team is going to have a bad year, it is better for them to only win a couple more games and maybe get a top five, top three pick as opposed to winning six or seven games and ending up with the 11th overall pick. In the way the NFL works, if you're going to have a bad year, better to have it be a really bad year. The best case scenario for this Packer team, honestly, is for them to lose 10 close games. <laughs> they go, they would then go, what, 3-14 and 14 this year? But every game's close and every game's competitive. You want to see improvements, but you want to see them lose. Now, I fundamentally cannot root for a loss. I just can't do it for any of my teams, even if it makes sense, even if it for the future of the Packers – if it makes the most sense for them to get the highest possible pick and get three or four picks in the top 50 or top 75 in the upcoming draft and to hit on a few of those, and that's how you build this team back up, even if that makes complete logical sense, 
I simply cannot sit there on Sunday and root for this team to lose, even though that's probably the best-case scenario is that they play close games, they show improvements, and they lose all of these games. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I want to. That's happened in, uh, with the Brewers, too, and with the Bucks in years past. I just can't do it. I cannot root for my team to lose. Let's see a win on Sunday. Let's see some improvement from some of these key players. Now, let's talk about that. I actually did a straw poll in the group chat I have with a bunch of my boys about who do you need to see the most improvement from? If we're going to say this season is gone and they're just a bad team this year and all we're concerned about is individual players making steps forward, taking steps forward, getting better, getting more confident, getting more comfortable, having the game slow down for them a bit. What is your list? What is your list of players you're specifically watching for the remaining 10 games of this year that you want to see improvements from? My question I posed to my guys was, outside of Jordan Love, who is still number one on that list, outside of Jordan Love, what's the number one player you want to see improvement from for the remainder of this year? And it, I got some interesting answers from a bunch of different people. Number one is Jordan Love, by the way. That's it. That's all that matters is figuring out if he's the guy. I don't know if you can properly assess that right now, given all the other stuff that's happening on this team with the play calling, with the offensive line, with the defense, with the injuries. It's tough to get a read on him at the moment, even though many of you, again, right now are saying, no, it's easy, John. It's very easy. He is not the guy. Some of you will say that, and that's fine, and he may not be. I don't have uh, enough data to go on, and with all the other stuff happening right now with this team, it's just hard to figure out what what Jordan Love is. I said at the beginning of the year, before the season even started on this podcast, that the number one goal of this season, whether you win four games and are in the top five of the NFL draft next year or top three, whether you win three or four games or whether you win eight or nine games and you threaten for a wild card spot or you threaten for a division title, the most important thing for this year is to figure out if Jordan Love is the guy or if he isn't the guy. Just to have a conclusion at the end of week 17 or week 18 or whatever it is now to know what you're doing. If he is the guy, then you go forward and you've got the most important position on your football team is figured out. If he's not the guy, then you know you have to go and get somebody, maybe pick up a veteran. You're probably going to draft a quarterback then high in the top five or top three. Just Knowing whether or not he is a is your franchise quarterback or not is the number one thing you have to figure out this year. So he is number one. Now, here's how my list breaks down. Number two on my list of players I need to see improvement from for the remainder of the year is Rasheed Walker, left tackle. It is the most important spot on the offensive line, outside of maybe center as well, Josh Myers. One of my buddies said Josh Myers. Did you see Goody double down on that statement that Stenovich had that we talked about last Friday where he said Josh Myers is playing his best football? I don't understand. The term gaslighting gets thrown around haphazardly in 2023. And I'm not sure anybody knows what it means. I don't know that I know what it means, but I think that's it. I think it's when somebody can see something and draw an obvious conclusion and then somebody else says, no, you're totally wrong about that, even though you are right about that. That's gaslighting, right? Are we being gaslighted? Is that how you'd say it? Gaslitten? Everybody can see that he's having a terrible year. And then Stenovich goes out there and said he's playing his best football. And Goody, after the trade deadline press conference, which is the only other time he'll probably meet with the media this year, he doubled down on that and said he was having an outstanding year. All right. I don't, maybe? No, I don't think so. I'm trusting myself. He's not. He's one of the worst centers in football. 
Left tackle, though, is the most important part of the offensive line. It's why they get paid the most on the offensive line. David Bakhtiari, I don't think it's a coincidence. Say what you want about Bakhtiari, but he was out there in week one, and he played well in week one, and the team won 38-20. to Jordan Love had one of his best games. Aaron Jones had one of his best games. I don't think that's a coincidence. We have not seen Bakhtiari since. In all likelihood, his time in Green Bay is done. We saw on Sunday Rasheed Walker got the start. He was bad. Rasheed Walker, the first two games after Bakhtiari left in weeks two and three, graded out very well to the point where a lot of NFL writers were saying, boy, the Packers did it again. They found a late-round left tackle that's going to be their left tackle of the future. That's how good he was in week two and three. And then after that, a lot like Jordan Love, he has backslid. He looks confused. He's blocking ghosts out there. A ton of penalties, which we saw on Sunday. They put Yash Nijman in. Then he got hurt. Then Walker went back in. He immediately committed another penalty. Is he going to be the guy at left tackle? If you don't have the answer to left tackle on your team right now, that's another spot where whatever draft pick you end up with, if you're top five or something like that or top ten, if you don't have the left tackle of the future on this team right now, then that's something you probably have to look at, at least in the first or second round of the upcoming draft. And that's why I put him at number two, because if he's not somebody you're comfortable with at left tackle going forward, you're going to have to spend a very high draft pick on a left tackle to protect Jordan Love or whatever quarterback you have's blindside at that spot. He's going to get playing time because of where the team is at. I just want to see him get better. I want to see him get close to where he was in week two or three. If he can start to do that slowly and by the end of the year, we're seeing a guy grading out the way he was in week two and week three. Maybe that's a guy that you think, okay, that's he's going to be our left tackle next year. We know that. We maybe still will draft a tackle, but instead of it being in the first or second round, it might be in the fifth or sixth or seventh round. That's number two on my list. Number three on my list is what most of my guys said Christian Watson and or Romeo Dobbs, for the sake of making this simple, we're just going to say Christian Watson. Christian Watson last year, when he was in the open field and all the crossing routes and the wide receiver screens and they were able to utilize his speed, he put up insane numbers once he was healthy the final nine weeks of the year. His numbers were so good in those final nine weeks that he was on graphics with Randy Moss. That's how good he was. He has come back this year, and he has backslid. Injuries are certainly a part of it. He's not getting the ball in open space anymore. But he's also not trending in the right direction. He's supposed to be your number one. And I understand he's only in his second year. And based on games played total, he's really only played one full season or even less than that in the NFL. He's got to be your guy, though. And he has to be the number one. He has to be the player fighting for footballs. Every contested catch, it seems like he gets muscled out. We have not seen the speed, but even on one-on-one balls where he gets two hands on it. We saw that plenty of times against the Vikings on Sunday. He does not seem to have the strength right now or the aggressiveness to just go and get it. I think he still has a future as a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. I'm not writing him off because of one bad year or a handful of bad games this year. He, though, needs to show us a little bit of what we saw at the end of last year. He's got to get stronger. He's got to get in the open field. It's not all on him. The passes from Jordan Love aren't accurate. The play calling is suspect from Matt LaFleur at best right now. But we have to see Christian Watson circa 2022 more to feel comfortable about him being a legitimate number one wide receiver in this offense going forward. And so far, we haven't seen it this year. That's number three. And if you want to throw Dobbs in that conversation, he's your 1B or your number two right now. He's also had an up-and-down year. He's been better, though. He has five touchdown catches. You want to lump him in there, that's fine at that number three spot. But to me, number three is Christian Watson. Number four for me is Lucas Vaness. 
He is the number 11 overall pick last year. You spent another high draft pick on a defensive player for the front seven, which they seemingly do every year, even though the defense never gets better. We saw Lucas Van Ness in week one with a couple of nice chase downs of Justin Fields, and he had a sack in that game. Since then, he has not been on the field a lot, and when he is on the field, he is not making plays. You've given Rashawn Gary the extension now. You did that earlier this week, four years, $100 million. You've got to figure out who is on the opposite side of Rashawn Gary going forward. You would hope that a guy with Vanessa's athleticism and his profile and how high he was picked, you would hope that he is going to be that guy on the other side of Rashawn Gary. We just haven't seen him make an impact on a game. If they're slow playing it a bit like they did with Devontae Wyatt last year, I don't know. I, I guess I'm okay with that. But at this point, just play him. Last year, it made more sense with Devontae Wyatt. They said Devontae Wyatt was young. He didn't have the reps. He didn't look comfortable out there when he was out there, even though his numbers were pretty good in the limited snaps he played last year. But last year's team, even though it didn't make the playoffs, people thought last year's team was a playoff team. People thought last year's team was a team that could compete for a championship. Remember that? <laughs> Seems crazy now. We were on crazy pills. So I understand more with a really young player, even though he was drafted in the first round, Devontae Wyatt. If you have a veteran team, which was it was a much more veteran team last year, and you have playoff aspirations or NFC title game aspirations or Super Bowl aspirations, if you want to slow play it with a rookie, I understand that. Lucas Van Ness, maybe you lump him into that category, but it's different on a 2-5 and five team. You've lost four games in a row. Everybody is seeing regression with this team. Play your young guys. I mean, play them. Get them the reps now. Why not build up his reps, figure out if he's going to be a fixture on that defensive line or that front seven or not, or how you're going to be able to use him in the future. Figure that out before this year is over. I see no point in slow playing these really young guys at this juncture of the year where you're sitting at two and five and you right now would be the number five pick in the draft. I want to see more of him on the field and what he can do going forward. And number five on the list to me is another Luke. Luke Musgrave. My buddy Paul had that one. I didn't think of that one initially. We were told that Luke Musgrave is going to be the first field-stretching tight end that we've seen since Jermichael Findlay. He has shown flashes of athleticism. He has shown flashes where he looks like a newborn baby calf trying to walk for the first time. He has shown flashes of good hands. He's shown flashes of having Christmas ham hands. We need to see more steps from him moving forward. We haven't seen a lot out of Tucker Craft, the other draft pick, tight end draft pick from this year's draft. Josiah DeGuara, to me, is more of a fullback at this point. So those are the two tight ends moving forward, Musgrave and Kraft. And you want to see more from them. Kraft has been more of a blocker. We need to see more of what we thought we were going to see from Luke Musgrave. You've got the tight end in Detroit. What the hell is his name? Sam Laporta. And him and Musgrave were very big comps coming out of college as tight ends that could stretch the field, that had some speed, had some athleticism. We've seen it from Laporta in Detroit. Granted, that team is just better overall. We want to see similar stuff from Luke Musgrave before the end of the year. That, to me, would be the top five. Love, Rasheed Walker, Christian Watson, Van Ness, and Musgrave. One other guy I'd throw in there is Quay Walker. Quay Walker has in my opinion, taking a step forward or a half step forward this year. And that's not to downgrade his rookie year. Outside of picking fights with assistant coaches and getting ejected from games, if you throw that to the side, his rookie year was actually solid to solid plus. When you say he has taken a half step or a step forward, that's not because his rookie year was bad. It was a fairly decent rookie year for Quay Walker. And he has taken a half step forward so far this year, maybe even a full step forward, depending on your opinion of what he's done so far this year. We need to see even more, though. 
I think for this defense to be what you hope it will be at some point, Quay Walker has to be the best player on that front seven. Better than Rashawn Gary, better than Kenny Clark, better than Lucas Van Ness, or any of the guys they have up there or any of the other linebackers they have. He has to be the run stopper. He's got to put some pressure on the quarterback. We've seen him get one pick this year. He's had the chance for multiple interceptions this year, so he's put himself in that position where he's not a terrible cover linebacker. We just want to see more, continue to see more from Quay Walker. I think for this team to be competitive in 2024 for a playoff spot or a division title or in 2025, you want Quay Walker to be the best part of that front seven. So I'd add him in there as a sixth guy. And then Matt LaFleur, I had a buddy bring that up in the group text too. We want to see him and the play call (laughs) improve. It's tough to figure out what the number one issue is right now. Is it the talent on the field that Goody put out there? Does that impact the way Matt LaFleur is calling games? Could Matt LaFleur have a better game plan for the players that he has? It's tough to figure out right now, but we want to see more from Matt LaFleur getting more out of this team. I don't think this team is a four-win team or a five-win team talent-wise, but that's what it looks like they're going to end up as, which does not speak well to the head coach. We want to see more improvement from him too. All right, let's take you on a trip down memory lane, shall we? Shall we go to the championship season of 1996? After an NFC championship game loss once again at Texas Stadium in 1995, the Packers were the Vogue pick to make it to the Super Bowl. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated that year. The cover had them. They had Favre, Robert Brooks, I think, and Chamura, maybe. And they were facing the big three guys for the Kansas City Chiefs. That was the predicted Super Bowl matchup that year. Packers and Chiefs. And through nine weeks, the Packers lived up to that billing. They were 8-1 and one through nine weeks, and the only loss was to the Metrodome, which at that point in the Packer history and in Favre's history was a nightmare place to play. They just never played well there at the Metrodome. Later in Favre's career, he played better there, and then obviously as a member of the Vikings, he played well there. Rodgers never seemed to have those difficulties at the Metrodome during that part of his career. That era, though, of the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, that was a place no matter how good the Packers were or how bad the Vikings were, they just couldn't win there. That was their only loss on the year, though. Now, at this point in the schedule, the Packers at 8-1 and one had a run of three straight road games. They had to first play the Chiefs at Arrowhead, and again, that was the team that they were thought to face in the Super Bowl. That's how highly regarded the Chiefs were in the AFC that year. You had to go to Kansas City. Then you had to go to Texas Stadium, which was also a nemesis venue for the Packers, and take on the Cowboys, who at that point were still one of the top teams in the NFC. And then they rounded out that three-game road trip in St. Louis, taking on a bad Rams team. Also at this point in the year, the 96 Packers had suffered an injury to basically every wide receiver they had. Robert Brooks early in the year, I forget if it was a torn ACL or a torn Achilles, If only we had some way to find out what it was, John. If only we had some magical device where we could find out what that injury was. He was out for the year. Antonio Freeman, their number two wide receiver, remember, broke his arm. He was out for the majority of the year until the end of it when he came back, and then he obviously had that big catch in the Super Bowl and a good game in the Super Bowl and in the playoffs that year. They were down Brooks. They were down Freeman. I think Chewy got hurt at some point that year. They had a lot of youth and some veteran pickups that were their wide receivers. That's why they had to go get Andre Bad Moon Rising. That's why they had to go get or have an elevated position for Don Beebe. I still have my Don Beebe jersey somewhere at my family's house. It's beat up. It is beat to hell. And you can barely make out the number anymore. But I love Don Beebe on that Packer team. I have a Don Beebe 82 jersey sitting somewhere. That's why all those guys, though, in that middle part of the year were seeing so much playing time because they were decimated at the wide receiver position in terms of injury. 
So they're eight and one, but they are missing all their key wideouts, and they're about to go on this rigorous three-game road trip. They go to Kansas City, they lose there. They go to Dallas, of course, they lose there. That Dallas game was the Chris Boniel game where he kicked seven field goals. Remember that? That was a Monday night game, I'm pretty sure. Packers lost 21-7. All 21 points came off the right foot of Chris Boniel. At that time, and it may still be, that was the record for most field goals made. And remember, late in that game, when they didn't have to, it was 18-7 and the game was over. There was like a minute left in the fourth quarter. The Cowboys decided to kick a field goal just to give Boniel the chance at having that record. And he kicked it, and he made it. And then do you remember how angry Reggie White got? Reggie White stormed across the field at the end of that game, pointing at Chris Boniel. Could you imagine being Chris Boniel, 170 pounds, soaking wet, the kicker on the team, and Reggie White, with the fear of God in his eyes, is coming at you and pointing at you and in a very angry manner? That sounds terrifying. Well, Reggie was not happy that they kicked that field goal just to get the record and rub the Packers' faces in it. That's where they were at, though, heading into this game against the Rams. They had these two marquee matchups. They were supposed to be the Super Bowl favorites. They lose them both at Kansas City, at Dallas. Now they're in St. Louis, and the Rams are not a good team. Tony Banks is their starting quarterback. They are in the, what was it called, the Edward Jones Dome in St. Louis. That was a team well under 500. This game was on ESPN Sunday Night Football with Mike Patrick on the call and Joe Theismann. That was a that I loved that booth. That was before Sunday Night was the marquee game of the week. They go to St. Louis for this game against a bad Rams team. Most Packer fans are thinking this is where you can get right. All right, you lost to Kansas City, you lost to Dallas, but this should be an easy win. They end up being down nine to nothing at late in the second quarter. They get a field goal from Chris Jackie heading into halftime. They're down nine to three. There starts to grow some real concern about this potential Super Bowl title team having lost two matchups in a row, and now you're losing to the godforsaken St. Louis Rams who have like three wins on the year. What is going on? And down 9-3 to in the opening minute of the third quarter, it was Rams football. Doug Evans comes up with a play that maybe turned the season back around and got them a jolt of energy. It was a pick six on Tony Banks that put the Packers in front. Banks, short set, shift, intercepted by Evans. Evans is gone. Touchdown. I remember even as a kid thinking, we needed that. The team needed that. They needed something to go right, to get in front, to get a lead on this bad Rams team, something to ignite a turnaround, and that seemed to do it. That pick six from Doug Evans put them up 10-9, to and eventually they'd get some space. Here was a touchdown from Favre to Keith Jackson. Favre to Jackson, touchdown! Packers up 17-9 at that point, and then one last touchdown for Favre. This was a classic Favre where he evaded probably three or four people with a Houdini act, kept the play alive, and found Dorsey Levins in the back of the end zone. Favre being chased by DeMarco. Favre got away, throws. Touchdown. Dorsey Levins made the catch. There are Green Bay Packer linemen all over the field as Brett Favre ran sideline to sideline, then faked everybody out when it looked like he might run it in. Packers go on to win that game 24-9, and it was just a collective sigh of relief. I vividly remember that from that year where you had all the championship expectations and were set to take that final step as a team and get past the NFC Championship game and get the Lombardi Trophy back home. 
Then you played so bad in Kansas City, and then you so bad again at Texas Stadium. Then you're down to the lowly Rams, nine to three at halftime. What is going on? And that pick six from Doug Evans just seemed to turn the whole season back in the right direction, and they would eventually win the Super Bowl, obviously against the Patriots. That was a big one, though. Packers and Rams back in November, November of 1996. Packers are three-point favorites heading into the weekend. We'll talk more about that when we get to picks coming up here in just a second. Badger football on the field, too, this weekend. If you have the season win total on 8.5, you could really use this one. You need all four. You need all four to get to 9-3. and three. If they get to 9-3, and three, do you think they make the Big Ten championship game? I do. If they win all four of these games, I believe Iowa will stumble again at some point because that offense is so awful. If they can run the table here, these last four games, and get to nine and three, which would then get them to what six, seven, seven and two in the Big Ten. My feeling is they get to the Big Ten championship game if that happens. They are going to be favored in all these games, I believe. Maybe not Minnesota. They are going to be favored. They are favored this weekend at Indiana. They will be favored against Northwestern. Slight favorites, I would think, at home against Nebraska, but favorites. And then we'll see what happens in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe, the last regular season game of the year. Doesn't sound like Braylon Allen's going to play. And for that reason, I wouldn't touch this line. Badgers are nine-and-a-half-point favorites. We said on Monday's podcast, as we were recapping how we felt good about the Badgers coming out of the Ohio State game, in that same breath, we also said, even though they'll be favored in these games, and they should and can win all four of these games, none of this is going to be easy. you still got a redshirt freshman quarterback. You've still got a team that's in a feeling-out process under a head coach in his first year at a new program. None of this is going to be easy, I don't think. I don't think they're going to go into Indiana and win 50-10 to 10 on Saturday like maybe some Badger teams would have in the past. We all believe Braden Locke or are hoping that Braden Locke is the guy moving forward. Still, though, it's a redshirt freshman quarterback making his third start, and it's on the road. Indiana does not have a win in the Big Ten this season. I had a text on the B93 Morning Show say they thought this was going to be a trap spot for the Badgers. Maybe. I don't even know if I'd use that term, though. With the way the Badgers have played this year for the most part and with how young they are, especially a quarterback. I don't know that anything's a trap game. Everything's going to be hard. They should win this game, but I don't know that it's going to be a cakewalk. Badgers at Indiana. It'll be an 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Again, Indiana does not have a conference win as of yet. This feels like a 27-20 kind of game or 26-23. You hope, like with the Packers, and again, it feels like we're in that same spot with the Badgers. You want to see progression. You want to see Locke continue to improve. A lot is going to be asked of Braden Locke if, in fact, Braylon Allen does not play, which sounds like he's not going to. That would mean Jackson Aker is going to be the lead back on Saturday, which means all all the pressure is going to be on the passing attack and Braden Locke. See if they can get a win and get to 4-2 and two in conference and then set up that home matchup with Northwestern in a week. And then let's touch on the Bucks real quick before we get to picks. I have never seen Bucks Twitter down as bad as it was on Wednesday after that loss to Toronto. They got blown out again. They played four games. They beat Philly behind a big Dame Lillard game on opening night. On Sunday, this past Sunday, they didn't look like they had any energy. They got worked over at home by the Atlanta Hawks. They beat the Heat on Monday in a mini revenge game, 122 to 114. And then their first road game of the year at Toronto, like the game against Atlanta, they got their doors blown off. They gave up a ton of points. The defense missed assignments, easy layups, open looks all night for Toronto. And they romped them. They could have won by more. That could have been worse than 130. What was it, 130 to 111? That said, I hopped on Twitter at the end of that game, and Buck's Twitter was in shambles. Absolutely in shambles. 
I have not seen Bucks Twitter as down as it was on Wednesday, and that includes heartbreaking playoff losses in 2019 and 2020 and 2022 and last year in the first round to the eight-seed Heat. This is as down as I've seen them in October or in November, four games into a year. Dame's washed. Giannis is regressing. Adrian Griffin's not the guy. That was the most popular take because they've looked so bad in their two losses. Adrian Griffin's not the guy. He's in over his head. Terry Stotts resigning was the canary in the coal mine, and we should have seen the writing on the wall that Stotts didn't trust him, and he saw a reason to exit. There's a reason Adrian Griffin's been interviewed 14 times, and he hasn't gotten a job, and we shouldn't let Giannis pick the head coach, which it seems like we did. I mean, it was just one thing into the next for Bucks fans on Twitter. We are four games into the year. Four games into an 82-game schedule, and people were writing the seesaw. People wanted Adrian Griffin fired. People wanted Adrian Griffin fired. What's the quickest a coach has been fired in his first year with a new team? Guys, just take a breath. Have a cigarette. Do something. This is too early for this kind of fervor for getting rid of a coach or that we made all the wrong moves in the offseason and the Celtics are 4-0 and Drew looks great. Look, we are four games into the year, and no fan base – more than us, should understand how meaningless these games are. Are they fun to watch? Is it interesting to see how this is all going to come together with Dame and Adrian Griffin? Yes, that's all true. Like we talked about a week or two ago, there are going to be a lot of bumps in the road. The Bucs are going to blow teams out. The Bucs are going to get blown out in the first couple months of the year. They are in a feeling-out process with new chemistry, a new Hall of Fame guard, a first-year head coach. This is not going to be... Like Boston right now, where they added Drew Holiday, but they've got their main parts, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Their head coach is in his second year now with the team. They look like a more cohesive unit, and they should, given where their roster is at and the returning players and the returning head coach. This is going to take some time. But last year, the Bucks won damn near 60 regular season games. They had the best record in the NBA, the number one seed. All roads to a title went through Milwaukee, and what happened? They lost in five games in round one to the eighth seed. The regular season, ultimately, for a team with this talent, does not matter. To have these kind of conclusions, it's a mat where you jump to conclusions. We had the jump to conclusions mat out, or Bucks Twitter did. It was amazing to see the meltdowns that were happening through four games. And when somebody, like I'm doing right now on Twitter, would say, just calm down on one of those posts that were going all around, oh, just calm down, it's four games in. All of those fans were doubling down. It's not too early. No, no, no. It's not too early. This is as bad. That's how bad it is that it's not too early. Holy moly, everybody. It's We're two and two. The defending champion Nuggets lost by 30 in Minnesota the other day. That type of stuff happens in the NBA. And the NBA right now has a lot of talent and a lot of parity. And you've got a sort of new team with a minutes-restricted Chris Middleton and a first-year head coach and trying to weave together Dame and Giannis for the first time in their careers this is not going to be seamless. This is going to take some time. They might be 10 and 10 through 20 games. They might be 20 and 20 through 40 games. All that matters is that they get on the same page and things tighten up by January or February or March and everybody's healthy and feeling better about the offensive and defensive systems. I could not believe how derailed Bucks Twitter was after that loss on Wednesday. The Bucs will play tonight, despite the season being over. <laughs> they will still play the games. They're going to play tonight against the Knicks. This is one of those pool play games for the in-season tournament, which I'm not even sure I still understand. The Bucs are in a pool with five teams. The Knicks are one of them. Every Tuesday and Friday game, I think, on the NBA schedule is a pool play game. And then the top team from every pool moves on to Vegas in a bracket-style tournament, a one-and-done. 
And then they play for a title in December, the first weekend in December. I don't know. It's a pool play game tonight. Let's just hope for everybody's mental health, the Bucks look better tonight at home against the Knicks. They're five-and-a-half-point favorites heading into the matchup against the Knicks on Friday night. All right, let's make some picks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Never tell me the odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to one on anything, you take it. That's a cool G, Daddy-O. Now you got to let it ride. All right, we were three and two last week. We are 23, 21, and one on the season, which I feel pretty good about. All things considered with all the upsets this year, I've got five, two college and three NFL for this weekend. I'm riding the Nebraska train again. I really believe Matt Rule has that team starting to turn itself around. They are five and three now. They're one of the four teams at three and two tied for first place in the Big Ten West. They are at Michigan State. That is a program, speaking of shambles, that is in shambles with the head coach disaster this year. They only have two wins on the year. Nebraska minus three. They're on the road, but only minus three with the way they've been playing. Their defense has been good. I'll take Nebraska minus three at Michigan State. I'm going to take Utah minus 10.5 at home against ASU. Utah beat USC, then lost to Oregon last week. I still like their defense. Their offense does struggle a bit. Minus 10.5, Arizona State is having one of their worst years in recent memory, one of the worst teams or the worst team in the Pac-12. I will take the 18th-ranked Utes minus 10.5 at home against Arizona State. Then in the NFL, I'm going to go with the Germany game. Dolphins and Chiefs. Chiefs seem to be tailing off a bit. The offense has struggled, and I think we're starting to see now that Travis Kelsey is the only guy there. Remember they barely was it they barely won against Detroit in week one, or did they lose to Detroit in week one? They lost, right? They lost week one at home. And that was the game where you said, oh boy, I'm not sure. They let Tyreek Hill go. They let all these marquee wide receivers go, and they thought they could replace him, and they were interchangeable parts because Patrick Mahomes was so good. They got better after that, but now we're starting to see them fall back again, and Kelsey is really the only weapon they have. Dolphins, meanwhile, that offense is still humming. I will take the Dolphins plus one and a half in Germany against the Chiefs early on Sunday. I am going to take the Packers. This feels like a spot where they're going to get a win. Will they cover the three? We hope so. There are a handful of games right now, if they continue to play the way they are, that they could win or should win. I would put this on the list of games that they should or could win, even if they're playing poorly, continuing to play poorly on Sunday. I will take the Packers minus three against the Rams. I don't know how many chances we're going to have to bet on the Packers for the rest of the year. This feels like a spot where you can and feel reasonably comfortable about it, so we're going to do that. And I'm taking the Raiders with interim coach. They fired Josh McDaniels. I told you this team is terrible. They fired their coach. They fired their GM. Their interim head coach, Antonio Pierce, former linebacker in the NFL, he had some real gritty things to say during the week. I love a team with an interim coach. You get that little boost, especially if it's a former player who's not that far removed from the NFL. You know he's going to bring the energy and ramp the team up. They're at home, and it's against the Giants, who are also a bad team. I will take the Raiders minus two at home against the Giants. Packers minus three at Lambeau against the Rams. Dolphins plus one and a half in Germany against the Chiefs. Nebraska minus three at Michigan State. Utah minus ten and a half at home against ASU. Oh, and real quick, the baseball World Series wrapped up like we talked about with the Creed conversation. The Rangers, their first ever title. It will be the lowest rated World Series in the history of Major League Baseball. It also sounds like rumors on Twitter right now are that Craig Council is about set to come home after his tour of teams with the Mets and with the Guardians and whatever else, whatever team he met with, it does sound like, or the rumors are, that Council will be meeting with Brewer higher-ups soon, 
And he's going to talk about the offers that he got from New York and potentially from Cleveland and any other team. And the expectation among the writers that I'm reading right now is that the Brewers will have a chance to match those offers. If they do, Council is probably staying in Milwaukee. If they don't, he is going to be gone. My guess is this is going to have to be a pretty big pay raise. Like we talked about in a, a week ago or two weeks ago, he made $3.5 million this past year. Whatever your feelings are about the recent playoff history, he is regarded by most Major League Baseball teams, which I will take their opinions over the opinions of random people on Twitter. He is regarded as one of the best, if not the best, manager in baseball. I assume he is coming back to Milwaukee with an offer in the 7 to $8 million range from New York, and they have limitless funds. It sounds like Atanasio and the Brewers are going to have a chance to match that. If they don't, though, Council's going to be gone. Just a little baseball tidbit there for you at the end. We'll come back on Monday. Hopefully a victory Monday. How about a dual victory Monday? How about a Badger win and a Packer win over the weekend? And a Bucks win, too, just to calm the fires on Bucks Twitter. We'll break all that down Monday afternoon. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.